So this is from John chapter 11. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the, said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, If anyone walks during the day, doesn't he stumble? Because he see, Sorry, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world? If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then, then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. So as soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to cry there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying, the Jews and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus 
wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so, may, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. It's good to, uh, thanks, Dan, for letting me come. He occasionally lets me come and uh, preach here, so I'm grateful to that. Um, heavy topic, right? Heavy topic. Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? I've been, uh, had a heavy heart all week, and I've been thinking on this. And I think one of the most painful things I've experienced has been holding my five-week-old son, Arthur, with whooping cough. Now, if you don't know, uh, whooping cough, whooping cough, adults get over it. Uh, babies under 10 weeks uh, often don't survive. I remember holding him, uh, holding him, gasping for air, watching him in case he turned blue uh, with the emergency on speed dial. Incredibly, incredibly painful couple of nights. Um, he was fine. He's over there uh, wreaking havoc on, havoc on the kids' church. Um, many are not. Many are not. And, and that experience is just a drop in the ocean compared to compared to others, compared to Tara. Um, I was just looking down my uh, friends list on Facebook, and there are uh, there are two just in the just in what I saw on my screen. There are uh, two friends who have been in Nepal, one on the ground now, uh, looking, uh, co- coordinating aid. One guy got airlifted from uh, Everest. Um, there's another guy who got shot and robbed in France. Um, two mates who have had their wives um, die in the last two years. One in a car crash, uh, one from cancer. Heavy, heavy times. There's dozens of selfies masking uh, pain and abuse and broken marriages and unwanted singleness and miscarriages. You look down your Facebook feed and it is full of pain and hurt. It's fair to say that you can't be human if you've not experienced suffering in some form. And you do. You've got to ask, why? Why, God? Why, God? The Bible is full of people asking why. Read the Psalms. You see people time after time asking God why. Well, the world religions will uh, give an answer to suffering. Buddhism says that suffering is, is an illusion. 
It's an illusion. Hinduism says it's karma, it's payback for uh, uh, wrongs committed in a past life. Islam says it's all determined by Allah, the, the finger of Allah, and it should not be questioned. And atheism just says, well, that's just the way the world is. That's nature, and we need to suck it up and get on with life. For many, suffering would be, will be a reason to dismiss God. If God, is, if God is all loving, if God is all powerful, why suffering? You might have seen Stephen Fry earlier this year on the internet. He went viral. Uh, he said this, he goes... Um, Bone cancer in children, why? Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? Perhaps you're asking that tonight. Perhaps you've been brought here by a friend and you're asking that. On one level, you can identify with Stephen Fry, can't you? You've got to look at the world and say, why? Why do we have to go through this? The Psalms, as I said, are full of people venting their spleens at God, saying, why God? The difference, though, between the God that Stephen Fry uh, thinks he knows and the difference between the God of the Bible and the God of the Psalms is that the God of the Bible gives hope. If there's anyone who has the right to call God mean and capricious, it's a woman called Tara, uh, Cara Tippett. You might have heard of her. She uh, died in March at the age of 37. Uh, she had cancer for two and a half years. She's got four beautiful kids and a beautiful husband. Uh, listen to what Cara said about God. The world says I should be angry, that I should be shaking my fist at God. But suffering isn't a mistake, and it isn't the absence of God, because he's present in pain. Do you know the difference between Cara Tippett's and Stephen Fry? Jesus. Jesus is the difference. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus promises for the future. The hope that he holds out. Cara said this about the hope that she has in Jesus. She said, My hope is not in the absence of suffering and, the co- and comfort returned. My hope is in the presence of the one who promises never to leave or forsake. The one who declares nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So tonight as we address this question, I don't want to give us glib answers. I don't want to Uh, give this kind of theological overview. I want us to take our questions and take our hurt to Jesus. That's why we've had just this uh, one long reading read, uh, John 11, so that we can take our questions to Jesus. I'm conscious that there's a great deal of pain in this room. There will be people carrying lots of pain. Uh, There's very real suffering. Uh, And we don't have all the answers. We cannot have all the answers. We won't know exactly why. And I'm very conscious that I might give some glib answers. And if I do, I'm sorry. And I'll be happy to chat and pray afterwards. That's not my intention. But I do want us to take our questions to Jesus. Uh, We've got uh, 
I've got four questions for us tonight, and we'll address them just very quickly. And we'll take them to, to John 11. I'm not going to exegete the passage as, as such. We're going to just take our questions there, because it is a chapter of great suffering. You see that there is sickness, there is death, there is worry, there is uh, mourning in this chapter. Great sadness. And I want to see the answers. I want us to see the answers that Jesus gives us. Because he does give us great hope. If you've read anything of John's gospel, John's big point in chapter one is that Jesus is God. And so by looking at John 11, we can, if you like, uh, look, Jesus, look God in the face and say why. So I've got four questions on that tonight and we'll look at them in turn. So first question, why is the world like it is? Just look at the picture that John paints of the the world that Jesus lived in. Verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. See the repetition of sick? Uh, By verse 17, he is no longer sick. He has been dead for four days. Uh, Apparently, uh, that that, uh, verse where they say he's already been, Lord, he's already decaying there in verse 39. Apparently, in the King James Version, that reads, uh, Lord, he stinketh. So by uh, verse 39, uh, Lazarus is no longer ill. He is well and truly dead and rotting in the tomb. Just look at verse 21 and we get a glimpse uh, as to why the world is like it is. Verse 21, then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Of course, they're talking about Jesus' healing abilities. Uh, They know that he can heal sickness. If he'd been there, he would have been healed. But this comment is indicative of the bigger problem. You see, the world is broken because mankind is cut off from God. If you've read your Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 uh, paints this perfect picture of the world. I know we've got uh, uh, talking snakes and it seems very distant, but the picture that is painted there is of this perfect world. And in that perfect world, there's perfect relationships with each other, with God and with our world. There is no suffering, there is no death in Genesis 1 and 2. Perfect world. There is no selfishness. This world that we see and feel around us was not God's intention. His perfect intention was there in Genesis 1 and 2. And that world was ruined by the train wreck that is Genesis 3, where mankind gave God the two fingered salute and said, I'll do it my own way. I rejected God out of their presence, rejected the rule of God. And so God banishes mankind from his perfect intended world into the world that we see today. That's why the world is like it is. Lord, if you'd been here, he would not have died. Let me explain, let me illustrate that. Um, I love scuba diving. I really love scuba diving. I hate the gear that you have to wear. I really want to just uh, be free to, to, to scuba around and, and not come up for out. I think because I'm 
uh, like ni- 95 kilos and six foot tall, I get about 20 minutes on a tank of air, which is not much. Uh, I hate the gear, but I need it to survive underwater. I need it to enjoy underwater. Now, in the same way, you and I were designed uh, to, be, to, to, to live dependent on God, in the presence of God. Uh, and in the fall of Genesis 3, we went scuba diving without the tank. God cast us out of his presence, cast mankind out of his presence into the depths of this broken world. And the result is the brokenness and the sadness that we see and feel in the world around us. Sin rules, doesn't it? We don't, I don't have to tell you that. Selfishness, evil, wickedness, sadness, suffering, it all prevails. We've had uh, Romans 8.22 quoted a number of times tonight, which says that creation is groaning. It is groaning in pain, waiting for the Lord to return. I'm conscious that that's a bit of a theological sidestep. It's always frustrating when preachers go all theology on us, but it, it explains the world. It explains why the world is like it is. Our frustrations testify to that, don't they? Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And we shake our fists at God and say, Lord, if you were here, this would not have happened to me. God, if you were real, this shouldn't be happening to me. Family and friends of Lazarus felt the real pain of God's absence. And we feel the real pain of God's absence every day of our lives. It's true, isn't it, that if Jesus had been there with Lazarus, he wouldn't have died. Perhaps often you really dream that Jesus could be with you so that he could just uh, flick a switch and turn off the suffering, undo the hurt, stop your mourning, close the tap on the tears. See, if God was here, our suffering could be avoided. Which raises the next question that we're going to look at tonight. God, have you abandoned us? God, have you abandoned us? Stephen Fry said in his interview, the God who created this universe is quite clearly a maniac. An utter maniac. Totally selfish. Do you see uh, the image of God that Fry has? God is like this being sat in his ivory tower, looking down at mankind, uh, getting pleasure out of our suffering for his sport. Interestingly, he said he would prefer the 12 Greek gods, which if you've read any uh, ancient Greek literature, that is exactly what they did. They, they played the humans and are suffering for their sport. But that is not the picture of the God of the Bible, and it's not the picture that we see here in Jesus. You see, in Jesus, God has entered our brokenness. He's entered our brokenness. He's not just entered our brokenness just to kind of like when the CEO comes down to the shop floor. He's entered our brokenness to rescue us from our brokenness. At first glance, it appears, doesn't it, that Jesus has abandoned Lazarus. Back to John 11, verse 6. He says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. Interesting, isn't it? He got the news and he didn't rush. He didn't get a cab. 
He just stayed where he was. Jesus delays so that Lazarus would die. But we learn he certainly doesn't abandon Lazarus. You see, Jesus had this bigger agenda. He says, verse 4, that he, the Son of Man, would be glorified. He says, this sickness will not be end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Just because Jesus allows this suffering to take place doesn't mean that he has abandoned Lazarus. Just because Jesus allows our suffering to take place doesn't mean that he has abandoned us. In this chapter, Jesus has a purpose to glorify himself and glorify God. Now, we need to be careful when we look at this kind of thing uh, because we can uh, read in that, that every act of suffering, every hurt that we experience is a, uh, is a deliberate act of God on us to teach us a lesson. We need to be careful because God never instigates suffering on us to teach us a lesson. He uses it to teach us a lesson and he may well uh, put things in our path to teach us about himself. Uh, neither should we think that God is not in control. Because here we see that Jesus has a, a grand plan. And his grand plan is not so much uh, for the people in this chapter, it's almost uh, for us in our suffering. For us in our suffering. And did you see the reality check that we get there in verse 11? Look at verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. It's a brilliant picture, isn't it? That Lazarus is not dead, he's sleeping. You see how Jesus uses this chapter to teach us that in Jesus' power, Lazarus is only sleeping, he's not dead. Suffering is, is, is not nice. It is not nice. But it's not necessarily pointless. And it is certainly not outside of God's control. So Jesus describes Lazarus as being asleep. And that's a nugget for us to chew on, isn't it? It's a great nugget of Jesus' kingdom to chew on, that, Jesus, that Lazarus was asleep. There's a mention of uh, Thomas in verse 16, the, the disciple Thomas. That's a pretty uh, painful verse for Kim and I. Um, our son Henry, uh, um, uh, um, our son Henry was uh, his middle name is Thomas or Didymus because he was conceived at Moore College and we're Greek geeks at, at Moore College, so we did the Greek version of Thomas, uh, the twin, and we named him. We gave him the middle name Didymus because he was a twin. He was a twin pregnancy, and we lost our twin, our baby, in the womb. Now, as painful as that was, and it was painful. God taught us to cling to Jesus. When Arthur was sick, God taught us to pray to Jesus. And we have been taught uh, some incredible lessons to cling to Jesus. And we teach our boys to cling to Jesus. Someone said we can sometimes see more through a tear than we can through a telescope. That's so true, isn't it? If we've experienced suffering as a Christian. See, Jesus offers to take the sting out of the tail of suffering. And he turns death, which our world knows as the end, into sleep. 
Tara Tippett uh, puts it brilliantly. She's, she's a great writer. Great writer. She says, uh, we've, put the, we've, we've bought the lie that suffering is a mistake, but it's the corner where you see how absolutely needy you are for Jesus. And that neediness is a good thing. The broken places in our life are the places that really draw us close to God. Friends, God has not abandoned us in our suffering. He's not abandoned us in our suffering. Well, that question may then turn into our third question is, well, God, don't you care that we're suffering? You see, when you're suffering, it's easy to think uh, that you are the odd one out, that God does not care for you, uh, that somehow, that somehow uh, you can uh, read the Bible and you can see God doing powerful stuff. You can see him do the thing with the storm and you can see him do the thing with the lepers and you can see him do the thing uh, with the, the, the sick people. But somehow I have been left out. That somehow when it comes to me, he, he's forgotten me. That he doesn't care about me. And it can often feel like God has put his finger in your chest and that he doesn't care. Well, John 11 corrects that. Just have a look at the, uh, just look at the picture there, it's brilliant, uh, of the caring God that we see in Jesus. John eleven thirty three, 33, uh, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. It's quite a, an emotional response, isn't it? Really emotional response. Uh, apparently, the, the English phrase, the, the, the very English phrase, his spirit, uh, um, he was deeply moved in his spirit. Apparently, uh, that in the Greek means to snort like a horse. It's a sign, it's a sign of his uh, expression of extreme grief. He cries. Jesus wept the shortest verse in the Bible. Friends, this is your God. Stephen, this is not uh, Stephen Fry's God. This is your God who made you, who walked on earth as a man. He's not capricious. He's not mean-minded. He's not stupid. He's experienced our pain firsthand. Tears, our tears have flowed firsthand. He has felt the knots in our stomach that we have felt. He has wept uncontrollably. Look at your Jesus here in John 11. This is your Jesus. See that God cares. He offers to walk with you. He offers to cry with you. He offers to mourn with you. If you would just take him at his word. There is nothing else in the world that offers that hope. So if you've come here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, can I urge you to look at the hope that is in Jesus? All the other religions have an answer. But none of them give the hope like Jesus does. No other one, no one else says that I have created you and I have walked in your suffering with you. God does care. Well, our fourth question. Well, God, uh, if you do care, why can't you fix it? Why can't you fix it? If you're good and you're powerful, then why can't you fix it? And that's the question that we get in, in verse 37. Some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? 
It's a good question, isn't it? Bob the Builder, can you fix it? Yes, you can, but why haven't you fixed it? Why can't you just fix it? It's the question that we want to ask God. Why can't you just... uh, Why can't you just turn the tap off my tears? Why can't you stop this suffering? Let's think about that for a minute. If if God was to come and was to fix it now, what would it take? What would it take to God to fix our world and to fix the suffering? To stop murders, to stop natural disasters, to stop cancer? What would it take? He'd need to re-landscape our world, wouldn't he? need to re-landscape it to stop earthquakes and to stop floods. And he'd need to get rid of murderers. He'd need to get rid of rapists and drug dealers. And he'd need to get rid of the spiteful. He'd need to get rid of the selfish and the liars. That would fix things up, wouldn't it? But the moment you start to think about it, to, to, to eradicate the selfish, uh, the spiteful, the liars... Well, he'd need to eradicate us, wouldn't he? Was it G.K. Chesterton that said, uh, when uh, in the Times apparently the, the people were invited to write in what's to, the, to respond to the answer, what, question, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton said, Dear sir, I am. You see, we, uh, we talk about judgment as if it was a bad thing. Uh, preachers constantly walk into preaching cliches when they mention judgment and constantly uh, ears are shut. But God promises to eradicate the mess that we see and feel in the world around us through judgment. And he offers us a way to escape judgment, to pass through his judgment on the cross. And to say a, a complicated thing very simply and shortly, the cross sorts, promises to sort out this world, promises to, to judge and destroy all that is evil, all the suffering, all the brokenness of this world. And he opens up the door to a perfect world for anyone who would trust the cross and cling to the life jacket that is Jesus. See, Jesus dying on the cross enables God to destroy all that is evil and to save all who trust him. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, God promises to eradicate evil, rewire our hearts, and recreate a perfect world. And he calls us to trust his promise to do that. No one else will give you that hope. No one else will give you that answer, only Jesus. There are no magic words uh, to take away your pain. If you haven't faced suffering, and we haven't uh, faced a great deal of suffering, you will face suffering. Uh, A friend of mine said that that we need to get a theology of suffering right before we are in that situation so that we know that God does care, that he hasn't abandoned us, and he will fix this world. It's very difficult to... So get your head around that when you're in this situation. Our world is broken, but God has entered it in Jesus. He has not abandoned us. He is not mean and capricious. He has felt our pain and knows our needs. And he has promised to fix 
our world. The clock says our time is up. Um, and I wanted to, but I wanted just to leave you uh, with the hope that Jesus offers. I want to leave you with the hope of this new creation, this new heaven and new earth ringing in your ears. So I'm going to um, read Revelation 21, 1 to 5. I'm going to ask you just to perhaps close your eyes or look at the floor. Um, uh, feel free not to do it. And I'm just going to read this. And, and this is the promise that Jesus holds out to everyone who will trust him, that we will be part of this world. So Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do praise you for the hope that is held out in the gospel. Father, we praise you that Jesus experienced our pain. He walked in our suffering. He cried our tears. Father, we praise you that he did not just leave us in that, that he has promised to uh, destroy all that is evil and wrong in this world. Father, I pray for all of us here tonight that we would cling to the hope of a new heaven and a new new earth that we would long for that day, that we would know because of the blood of Jesus that that final destination, that final end game is certain. Father, I pray that we would all help each other to keep trusting your promise, keep aware of your hope in the pain and in the suffering, in the bad times and the good. We pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and uh, walk our way swiftly to him. In his name we pray. Amen.